This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. I don't believe in the devil, but I know he exists because our blessed Lord said that he does. My guest today knows how real the existence of demons and devils are. He spent 20 years as a New York City police officer and saw the results of the evil that we perpetrate on each other. Now my guest is a retired police officer, but uses those investigative skills as a demonologist. He is the host of The Demon Files, author of the book Beware the Night, and has a YouTube channel devoted to continuing educating people on the demonic. Joining me along the way is Ralph Sarchi. Ralph, welcome. Dave, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It is really good to have have you, man. Hey, um, I usually don't go and uh, title these these uh, talks or these these conversations before they 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 get uh, released, but uh, I think the, the the one that I have to say the title of this is probably going to be "Crimes Against Spirituality." Um, you are a demonologist. Tell me about that. Basically, for lack of a better title. Uh, the, you know, being interviewed over the years, people say, well, how do you want us to introduce you? So I just took the title demonologist. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not big with titles, but either demonologist or religious demonologist would, uh, you know, describe my industry, what I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. Well, let me so, ask you a question. You spent, uh, what, 18 years, 19 years as a, as a New York City police detective? 20. 20 years. As a- I was... I was a sergeant. I wasn't a detective. Okay. How much of the stuff that, that you saw in your day-to-day work not only made you believe in human evil, but demonic evil? Well, I, I mean, you know, being a cop in, in, the, uh, in New York City, uh, I saw pretty much everything that you could think of. Uh, I was on patrol my whole 20 years. So I was always out there night after night for many, many years. And, you know, I always looked at primary evil, which comes from the devil, and secondary evil, which is the evil that uh, we human beings perpetrate on one another, because we, we are a fallen nature. We were created this way. You know, a lot of people think that, we, well, we were born good, but I, I don't believe that we were born good. Uh, you know, not only the fact that we were born with original sin, you know, which when we're born again, it means we're baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes care of original sin. But I, I look at it this way. If we were born good, then why do we have to teach uh, our little children to say thank you, to say you're welcome, to share their toys, you know, uh, not to run around being bratty. So we, we actually are born into a fallen nature. Um, but I, I do believe that we are born with a sense of justice because God's love is justice. And I believe that with the exception of a mental illness that doesn't give you the ability to uh, decipher between good and evil, um, that we are born actually with this sense of justice. And there's been psychiatrists that have done experiments on this. And one of the things that I come up with by studying this is that that sense of justice is, I believe, inherited in everyone. Mm-hmm. I noticed because you're the host of the, of the show, The Demon Files, and that's where I, I really came to know about you. 
I noticed that you run a lot of your investigations like a police investigation. You keep those people that are that have been suffering through the uh, infestations of, of evil, and I use that for lack of a better term, I noticed that you keep them away and you go and you investigate and you see what's what's going on for yourself. You go in prayerfully and you, you just want the experience yourself. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I have to get a, a, a decent sense of what the family or the people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll get a rudimentary, you know, idea or feel for that. And then I don't want any more information. Mm-hmm. especially for the demon files with the way I had to set up the investigation. It was very different from the way I've been doing things for many, many years. Uh, you know, with the scientific methods that I brought into it, like the spirit boxes and REM pods and, you know, all of that satellite track and stuff that my investigators were very good at utilizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never u- utilized that kind of stuff. Um, I always went in with a prayer life in mind. Uh, but even even with the demon files, the foundation of my investigating that case, the foundation of my ministry is is exorcism and and prayer. Mm-hmm. So that that's never changed. Just the method on how I went about, um, you know, trying to interact with the spirit that was, on the scene, that was really the only thing I, I added is only usually an interview, a very, very long interview, mm-hmm. and then either an exorcism or I wouldn't do an exorcism. So, uh, you know, for the demon files, it was a departure from the way I do things, but I was definitely uh, my the foundation was was steeped in, in prayer and exorcism. Uh, I brought God into each and every one of those cases. Mm-hmm. I know that you have the rosary praying in the background uh, on all of them. Yeah. The network, um, actually what had happened is I told the network that I was going to be utilizing the rosary as a part of the religious provocation, which I really never did in, in all my years of investigating, I I've done it about three times and it was usually at the request of, of Ed Warren, you know, he'd say, Ralph do religious provocation. And I was one of Ed's investigators back in those days. So I did what he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like doing it. Trust me, there was a reason why. And I, I wrote that in the book very clearly as to why I didn't like to do it. But for the show, I needed to, uh, I didn't look at it as a show, actually. I, they were cases of mine. And we just happened to have, you know, video cameras and, and audio in there yep. filming my investigation but all my investigators knew what I expected of them. Uh, they weren't to do anything that I wasn't aware of. I didn't want them doing anything that I didn't tell them to do. Mm-hmm. And I had a very good team back then. You know, uh, Mark Stabinski as my lead investigator is absolutely dynamite, you know, and, and all of the team, uh, they, they exceeded my expectations as far as, you know, the way they, bonded together and and work because actually that was the first time we've all investigated as one team Mm -hmm. so i thought that they they worked out pretty well because i i made some good choices as far as my investigators uh were concerned Mm -hmm. 
they must have had some experience before beforehand. Yeah, every one of them was involved in paranormal investigations, with the exception of Mark. You know, Mark was with me for 15 years at that point. So, you know, Mark always had that uh, religious sense to him. We're both traditional Catholics. We were really on the same page, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and having him as my lead investigator was probably the best move that I've ever made in the f- in the work, mm-hmm. you know, in the field. The rest were all paranormal investigators, and and I wanted to bring them along. And really, the only one that's still investigating is Sean Austin. He's doing a great job. He's following in my footsteps, and you know, I I got at least one out of the group that's out there actually continuing to investigate. Mm-hmm. You know, the other ones are off doing their own thing. Uh, with the exception of Kane, you know, she, uh, she is very religious in her own right. She's a traditional Catholic. So I'm, you know, I'm very happy with, um, with my choice and, and what Sean and Kane are doing. Let me ask you a question about how do you know the difference between, you know, just a paranormal entity and a demonic entity? Well, you, you mean a human spirit versus a demonic spirit, right? Well, Human spirits are very limited as to what they can do as far as hauntings are concerned. See, we're weak in life, in physical life. We can't affect the natural order that God instituted to any great you know, uh, degree. Like this man-made global warming, I laugh at because, you know, first of all, we can't really affect the climate as much as these folks, these environmentalists would like us to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other reasons for that, you know, uh, carbon tax credits and control over life. But this isn't really a political discussion, so I'll leave that there. But human spirits cannot manipulate heavy objects. They can't physically attack um, and they can't possess. I have never come upon a case of possession that was a human spirit possessing a living physical body. The demonic, on the other hand, are a totally different story. They never walk the face of this earth in human form. Mm-hmm. They're from the nine choirs of angelic spirits. And the way God set up these angelic choirs, um, each choir has a specialty as far as us human beings are concerned. The demonic come from one of those nine choirs, you know, no matter which one we're dealing with, they're from specific choirs. Mm -hmm. There are three hierarchies of angelic choirs, and it starts the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones, the dominations, the powers, and the virtues, and the principalities, the archangels, and the angels. And demonic spirits come from one of those choirs, depending on how high in the hierarchy they are depends on how much power they have. But keep in mind that even an, a demon from the lowest choir of angel has much more power than a human being will ever have. You know, our protections come from God and that's it. You know, if it wasn't for him, uh, Satan would have destroyed us a long time ago because he's been trying since he, saw Adam and Eve in the garden since he made the threat to, to God 
um, during the rebellion, he's been wanting to destroy what God has created. And he's doing a damn good job as far as I'm concerned. All you got to do is read the newspaper or turn on the TV and, and you'll, you'll see that, that, uh, that that's why I opened with the question about, you know, what you saw as a, as a police officer. One of the cases that, that you did, and it, it, it uh, had a mirror that was involved with it. And you took that mirror and you took it to... John Zaffis. But you took that mirror there uh, for a reason. Are you ever afraid of anything following you home? No. No? No. What gives you that protection? God, the Blessed Mother. I pray the rosary every single day. And I pray the litany of the Sacred Heart every day. And I pray the novena to St. Michael for the defeat of Satan every day. So I constantly invoke St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael, and all of the nine choirs of angelic spirits. I invoke them every single day mm -hmm. to watch over me and my property, my family, my even my pets. I include my pets into that. So I don't have a fear mm -hmm. of the devil. I might have when I first started in the work, but that was because of my lack of knowledge of God. But as I, over the years, got closer to God and, and actually went out and sought to know more about him, to know as much as he would be willing to allow me to know, mm -hmm. my fear just sort of melted away. I don't have any problems with the demonic. Maybe every once in a while I have a situation, but it's minor. And I got the holy water. The holy water is never far from me. It's right over my shoulder here. I always have my bottle of holy water ready. Um, and the devil knows that if he starts to create this court in my home, there's an exorcism coming down the pike right after that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll expose my relic of the true cross. I'll burn my incense. I'll read the Pope Leader 13th prayer of exorcism. And I will use my blessed salt. And there's nothing for him to gain, you know, from that because the element of fear is no longer there, which is what he wants. He wants that negative emotion of, of fear that people give off. And, you know, St. Pio said, said it very well. That if the faithful knew just how much power is in the, the rosary, how much authority they have in the name of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. over the devil and his demons, it would be laughable, actually. So I try to live my life, even though I'm a sinner and I'm nothing special. I do try to live my life to the point where, you know, I want the devil to be afraid of me. And that could be obtained as long as we are in a state of grace, we are going to church every Sunday, a holy day of obligation, mm -hmm. receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying that rosary, praying the litany, the sacred heart, uh, you know, the, the power that we have. And even Jesus Christ said in scripture is that we should not rejoice in the fact that the devil and his demons are subject to us in his name, but that we should rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. So, you know, when you're trying to live as close to the commandments of God, we should live in a joyous countenance, actually. 
And the devil does not like joy. He only likes the negative emotions that we, we give off and the demons feed on. So if there is none of that, then they get nothing to gain by it. In fact, they get the opposite of what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. In your investigations, what have you found has been the leading cause to inviting demonic possession or infestation? Well, the first thing is, like I just talked about, is um, living in a state of mortal sin. You know, but in in that type of situation, when you're living in a state of mortal sin, chances are the devil isn't really going to bother you because he's already got you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, the folks that you know, might bounce back and forth from a state of mortal sin into a state of grace and that he's going to seek more to keep you on the wrong path. So, it, you know, it's a benefit to you to remain in a state of grace as much as possible, even though, like I said earlier, we have a fallen nature, we're inclined to, uh, you know, committing sins. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that's a battle that we have to overcome. And as long as we are trying as hard as we can, we should be uh, afforded many protections. Another problem is people messing around in areas that they shouldn't be messing around with, spirit communication. Mm -hmm. Um, It pains me when I see all of these paranormal investigators running around in abandoned buildings, communicating with spirit, what they believe is a human spirit chances are you're not dealing with a human spirit. You're dealing with a demonic spirit that's going to mimic being a human spirit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's happened over and over again. A lot of the cases I wrote in my book, one of the famous cases of Ed and Lorraine, the Annabelle, mm-hmm. um, that demon masqueraded as a human spirit, the spirit of a little girl, and asked permission to uh, reside in the Raggedy Ann doll. And the, the two nurses first mistake is they were doing a communication. The second mistake is they gave it permission to stay in the doll. And once that happened, it showed itself no longer as a little girl. Now, you know, we're dealing with uh, something that's very, very evil and very powerful. And they found the mistake that they made. It's the same exact thing with paranormal investigators. You know, I get it. It's fun. You know, there's an element of suspense to it. You know, there might be a little element of danger to it, but in all reality, if something follows you home and you have children at home, now you've put them at great risk. And if you love your children, Mm -hmm. you would not put them in this particular situation. I've seen it time and time again. You know, I get calls from people, you know, they, they would go out and uh, do these uh, you know, uh, communications and abandoning locations. And, and then the next thing you know, they have phenomenon happening in their home and it's frightening their kids. And now they want me to wave a magic wand and get rid of it for them. But mm-hmm. it doesn't quite work like that. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. these things, they don't leave that readily. They don't want to leave, you know, they, they want to hold on to what they've gained. Yep. So it's, you know, it's a situation that really isn't uh, ideal for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have the out and outright occultists that want to manipulate the spirit world for personal gain, you know, and they're going to owe at the end. I know that uh, one of your episodes of the Demon Files, you actually walked out of an investigation because you 
I believe that's what you thought somebody was trying to do. And you walked out of the investigation because they were not being honest and upfront with you. How important is honesty? Uh, I think I demonstrated that by getting up and walking out, which was the last thing that I wanted to do. Do you know the case you that you're talking about? Yeah, of course. Of course. Was that the only one that um, you ever had to walk out of? Well, I, I, that's the only case I actually walked out of. But a lot of cases, um, when I get people that are not being totally honest with me, I sort of slap them down pretty hard. You know, I don't get much of that because most of the people, when they call me, they want my help. Mm -hmm. These particular folks had other motives. And, you know, what, what we didn't show on the show because of time constraints is that I, I sort of knew uh, I spent a week at each one of these cases. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was there for one or two nights and then we moved. I was there for a week. And um, I, I started to feel that there was something wrong. Like maybe after the second day that I was there, that something was not right. And then I had sh actually Sean Austin um, came to me and said, Ralph, I think there's something really going on here. Um, and he alluded to something that I had dealt with in the past. So I said, okay, team, we're going to switch up now. We're going to start investigating this family because I was not getting the level of response in this home that I did on the other two cases. Mm -hmm. um, I was getting stuff all night long, you know, uh, with the religious provocation over here. I was having such a difficult time and I, I knew something was wrong. So I had spoken to the family, the, the mother and father many times, and I was trying to give them little hints. You know, I would say, be so bold as to say, you know, we don't only investigate the house, we investigate the family too. You know, I need you to be honest with me mm -hmm. or I might miss something that is very important um, that you're not telling me. So, you know, th there were little clues and that's why I actually do walk through the houses of people and, and I look at pretty much everything they, they have, you know, I'm not ashamed of going into their dresser drawers and looking around, you know, mm -hmm. because I need to be sure that I don't overlook something. That's how thorough I am. And I, and I do my investigations, like you said, as a police officer, because that, that's how I was taught to investigate. The police don't come into a crime scene and do a half-assed job and just, you know, look at certain things. We look at everything, yeah. you know, and um, they just were not, they were not truthful with me. And it really angered me. Oh, I could, um, I could and, tell. And, I could tell. You know, I, I had said, well, you, you didn't see the whole, the whole thing. There was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of nastiness going on in that house. Um, Kerry did not like me, but the problem was, is that, that particular case from Missouri came in from Destination America. Mm -hmm. That case didn't come to me. And I had a conversation with Carrie and she resisted uh, my religious, you know, connotation to everything. She resisted that right from the beginning. So I, I, sort of suspected that I was going to have a difficulty in this particular case, mm -hmm. but you know, it was something that was needed because I need to show people how important it is to not only um, have a 
relationship with God. But to be honest, lying is from the father of lies. We don't call the devil the father of lies for nothing. And if you're asking me for help and then you're going to lie to me, well, it shows me who you've aligned yourself with. Mm-hmm. I don't like liars. I, I really, really despise people who lie. I won't have anything to do with a, with a liar when I catch them in a lie. I will let them know. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And that's the way I behave, not only in you know, my cases, but in my personal life also. If I find out that you're a liar, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from that episode because I've always thought that God is the author of, of truth and he is the only one that is that we can actually say is truth. The best that we can hope for as people is to be honest with ourselves and with each other and with God. And I know exactly. That, and I understand your devotion to the rosary, to the you know the prayers of the Sacred Heart to, to St. Michael. I pray the St. Michael Chaplet every morning. That's my morning devotion. I do it on Facebook Live. And I'm going to add you your name to my prayer list, by the way. Thank you. But there's what I call the wilderness of prayer. And it's where we open our heart honestly to God and just pray honestly. So I hope that that keeps evil away from me. How many cases have you done? Would you say? What you types know? of cases? Any, uh, you know, de- demonic uh, exorcisms. It, you know, uh, you're talking about solemn exorcisms of people or homes. Well, that's because a good, the that's solemn a... exorcisms, I, I assisted Bishop McKenna in probably about 28 solemn exorcisms. But there were many, many more minor exorcisms that I would assist him on, like uh, when we would deal with cases of oppression and obsession. Um, you know, there were many more of those uh, homes. I, I've done uh, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. Explain to me the difference between oppression, obsession, and because you were just bringing up some words that have been in like a lot of uh, I've, I've read like Father Gabriel Amworth's books. I don't know if you have. Yes. Um, yeah. And he explained a little bit about that. But, you know, tell me your working experience with those. Well, the three cases of uh, diabolical activity are infestation, oppression slash obsession, and possession. Um, a, a lot of priests will sort of interchange obsession with possession. So it's sometimes it can be a little confusing, but it's specific. It's a specific stage. Now, in the oppression stage, that's usually... It comes about, but I've dealt with cases that have gone right into the oppression stage because of the power of the demon. We consider them devils. They're in the higher hierarchies. They're more powerful. They can withstand more prayers. They can withstand um, the sacramentals. They can manipulate blessed objects. They're that powerful. The lower level demons cannot manipulate blessed objects. So when we start to see blessed objects being manipulated, we know we might be dealing with a devil, something very powerful. Um, In the oppression stage, it's basically, um, it's the infestation stage now multiplied. The phenomenon is much worse. Um, it, It happens during the daytime. 
It might happen outside the home. It might follow you. Not saying that this can't happen in the in the infestation stage, but it's less likely to happen. Um, all of these things, you know, it can change. Mm -hmm. It depends on the power of the demon that we're dealing with. Uh, you know, uh, the phenomenon becomes worse instead of scratching in the walls or scratching underneath the bed. Now you got pounding on the house that shakes the home. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that something hit the outside of the house that shook the whole house. We thought we were having an earthquake. Um, you know, you, you have phenomenon that's a lot worse than the subtle phenomenon of the infestation stage which some of that phenomenon could be actually overlooked it's so subtle yeah. there's nothing subtle in the oppression stage now when we talk about obsession um this is sort of like we're dealing with a two-pronged attack the oppression is an external attack the obsession is now an internalized attack and it's usually centered around what we call the focal person, the person that the demon has singled out for possession, actually. But there are some times when the obsession stage might hit somebody around the focal person. Like in the first case of my book, um, it's, it's escaped me, I should know, the Halloween horror, where the mother Gabby was singled out for possession it was the daughter, Luciana, who was physically attacked uh, during the oppression stage. You know, I mean, some really, really bad physical attacks, which come along in the oppression stage. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, now you don't have the physical environment only being manipulated. Now you have physical attacks on family members. Uh, your head being pulled, being punched, being kicked, being bitten, being scratched thrown out of the chair, thrown out of your bed. I mean, I have video of the little girl sitting in a chair trying to do a homework and the, the demon is moving her chair around, you know, um, uh, tables moving across the room, washing machines, turning completely around, refrigerators being turned around. Mm -hmm. uh, this you would find in the, in the uh, oppression stage, but the, the obsession is now where the person's personality starts to undergo a change. Uh, you know, there might be an aversion to religious objects. The mention of the name of Jesus or the Blessed Mother will bring a violent response from this person. Um, you know, behavior changes as far as, you know, minor inconsistencies in a person's personality now become sinful. You know, uh, sin becomes the norm in this person's life. They no longer um, live in a state of grace if they ever were. But now they're in a perpetual state of mortal sin. You know, uh, sins of the flesh are one of the things that we look for. Um, it's a very, very powerful emotion that a human being experiences. Hunger is the number one emotion that a human can experience. The next most powerful emotion is lust. And I believe that there are many of the saints that said that the, the number one sin that sends people to hell is sins of the flesh. Um, Jesus got scourged because of those sins of the flesh. Mm -hmm. You know, then you'll have a, an intellectual pride, which is the crowning with thorns, you know, the, the way we sin mentally. Um, so these, these things start to become pronounced in a person's life. And there is an actual personality change within this person. 
And really, the only ones that could tell us about that are people that know them the best. You know, family members, uh, you know, will say that this this person has become very different, you know, than what they used to be. So that would be the obsession stage. And, and that's basically all designed to break down a person's will sufficiently enough where uh, possession could take place because, you know, there needs to be a breakdown of that free will where the person actually accepts the demonic spirit actually possessing their body. Um, and I'll lead you back to once again, the Halloween horror where from the very first night that this demon revealed itself or manifested itself in the guise of the human spirit was actually possessing the woman, Gabby, um, and speaking through her, she would try to resist the spirit possessing her, but not forcefully enough. You know, she requested, don't, don't possess me, you know, uh, don't enter me, but you know, that they're, they're not going to listen to that. They need, you need to be more forceful, basically in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave me alone. You know, that's the only thing they're going to respond to. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they won't respond to human requests. Right. So there, there needed to be a breakdown of the person's will. And it's usually through isolation. They isolate this person. They become so uneasy to deal with that the family pulls back and withdraws from them, which leaves them alone. Do you think mental illness begins to to set in during this obsession well, I, stage? No, I, I don't I don't believe that. And that's that's why it's very important for uh, an investigator who is involved in the work to have a very, very solid foundation as far as who God is and who the devil is not. Because demonic possession mimics mental illness to a certain degree. So it's it's a very, very serious mistake to have somebody who's suffering from mental illness uh, be told that they're actually possessed. That is, that is a travesty to do something like that to, to a person like that. That's why it's very, very important. And sometimes it takes, it, it takes some time to, you know, actually come to the conclusion that somebody is demonically possessed with the exception of maybe the, you know, the, um, the signs that we are told to look for in the Roman ritual. So that's why when, when I handle a case, I want a medical and a psychological background on the people I'm dealing with. When it comes to demonic possession, that's what I need. And I want to see, you know, what's written. I want to see a report. I'm not just going to go on your word. I want to see it. Mm -hmm. And, and look at it. Because like I said, mental illness, demonic possession can mimic mental illness. The demonic do that to throw people off the scent. Oh, this person is just mentally ill. But that's not to say that people who are mentally ill are not experiencing diabolical activity. But what I try to do when I get somebody who's mentally ill that might be fixating on the devil is to try to change them to fixate on God instead of the devil. And once I get them to do that change where they start to now fixate on God, it's easier for them to help themselves through prayer and, you know, maybe through some kind of uh, a spiritual intervention. Um, unfortunately, there are not a lot of clergymen out there that 
um, have the ability to do that. You know, um, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. That's shame on them, actually. Right. Who should be assisting um, our clergy with exorcisms of, you know, homes and, and, and even people? Well, that's what I've tried to do. I mean, I work predominantly, predominantly with Bishop McKenna and Father Malachi Martin, who are both my mentors. And instead of calling either one of them up and saying, listen, I have an infestation case or an oppression case going on, you know, travel from wherever you are and come to this state and take care of it, it, it would be really time consuming mm-hmm. and a drain on their pastoral duties. Uh, Bishop McKenna, he, he didn't just do exorcisms. He had pastoral duties. He had a congregation. He was the spiritual leader of. Mm-hmm. And exorcisms would be something that he would do, you know, aside from his pastoral duties. But he was a bishop, he, a traditional Catholic bishop. He wanted to minister to his congregation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we were able to alleviate a lot of the situation. And if I ever came upon a case that I couldn't do anything about as far as a, an infestation or an oppression was concerned, I would call Bishop McKenna and say, listen, I can't do anything with this. You know, I'm going to need you to come and take care of it. Fortunately, through the grace of God, that wasn't the case. I never had to bother him in that manner. Mm-hmm. But I'm not an exorcist where I would undertake the responsibility of doing a solemn exorcism. That's only an ordained clergyman that that exercises people, not not, you know, laymen. My mind goes crazy when I hear that there's a layman doing this stuff. That's that's not your role. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're supposed to be doing for maybe lack of an ordained clergyman. Um, I have in that case, Halloween horror. Gabby came under possession while we were performing the uh, minor exorcism and we didn't do an exorcism. But both my partner at the time, Joe Forrester, and I had relics of the true cross and we were eventually able to get that demon to release its grasp on her, you know, through commands. Um, but we didn't do the Roman ritual over her. That's not our place to do, you know, but in, a, in an emergency situation, we're going to try to do something at least, you know, right. but to, to set up an exorcism is not, and you're not a clergyman, a validly ordained clergyman is madness as far as I'm concerned. You think there's an extra protection that goes along with the being a clergyman? in that site, in that situation? Of course, yeah. of course, you know, uh, we believe that their guardian angels come from the, um, the archangel choir, you know, while the rest of us, uh, laymen get guardian angels from the angelic choir, the yeah. last choir, yeah. a priest will get a guardian angel from the archangel choir. And there are some laymen that, uh, are tasked by God to do certain things, we'll get a guardian angel from the archangel choir. But yeah, I mean, uh, as long as the clergyman is doing what he's supposed to do, of course he has protections. But even then, if they stray from the playbook, they could find themselves getting hurt. You got to be really, really careful when you're taking on that responsibility of casting demons out, you know, and if you're not uh, praying that rosary every day and and following the commandments of God as as much as you can in your state of life, 
you're on dangerous ground and you could find yourself in a bad situation. And I, you know, unfortunately had that in the beginning when I started first, you know, start to work. Uh, but I learned what I needed to do spiritually to protect myself and my family. I think one of the most important things is that we as Christians, we, we shy, shy away from the suffering aspect of our faith. And the way I look at it, when I suffer, I offer it to God. So if the demonic are going to cause me to suffer in any way, well, I'm going to offer it to God. And something good will come out of that suffering. And I don't believe that God allows the devil to operate without good coming from it. It might not be for the person who's doing the suffering, but somebody else is going to benefit from that suffering. Hmm. You know, you, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the different choirs of the angels. And like I said, I, I pray the St. Michael Chaplet every morning. It starts with the, the seraphim, the cherubim, you know, and, and it goes through all the, the, the different choirs. But the, the eighth salutation, which is um, the one that, for archangels. Archangels. Yeah, it's... By the intercession of St. Michael and the Celestial Choir of Archangels, may the Lord give us perseverance in faith and in all good works in order that we may gain the glory of paradise. That's the eighth salutation. But I'm curious is why, if the archangels are so strong, why are they so low in the, the choir of, of angels? I mean, they're only above angels. I, I don't know why God placed that choir where he did, but... You have to understand the way Lucifer, as a, uh, as one of God's most beautiful creations up to that point, for the chief amongst the seraphims, Lucifer was the head angel. He was the top guy, the closest one to the to, to God actually in that choir. But Lucifer is never gazed upon the beatific face of God because the angels had gone through a probation period and they needed to choose God of their own free will, mm -hmm. just like God does with us human beings, which are a lesser creation than the angelic choirs. He, he, he's given us free will. The angelic choirs enjoyed that free will for a short period of time. When God started to reveal his plan to the angelic choirs, Lucifer was starting to have a problem with it. He was the head angel. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't until God revealed his plan of the infinite word and in born of a woman being born a man. Lucifer did not like that idea at all because he looked upon us as a lower creation of God that he should not be ministering to these lowly, you know, creatures, these meat sacks with a fallen nature. Mm -hmm. um, and that in his pride, he rebelled against God's plan. Not only the fact that God said to Lucifer during that blasphemy against the infinite word and the woman, he, he threatened the devil and said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed and she will crush your head and you will lie in wait for her heel. God was telling Lucifer that that woman is going to be the one who defeats you. Now that didn't sit well with the devil. Um, so he's been on a tear to try and take as many souls from God, knowing that he's already lost the battle. He knows he lost it. 
He wants as many souls that he can take from God because number one, he hates God and he hates us even more mm-hmm. because in our fallen nature, we could sin and we could be forgiven for sins if we seek to be forgiven. But the angelic spirits, because of their nature, they knew every action that they committed. They knew the, the consequences to all their actions in an instant. They have that ability because of their nature. Human beings, we don't have that. So God would only allow them to, to fall once. And that was it. They knew the consequences of that rebellion, of that fall. But when we can be fallen and forgiven over and over again, you know, until we don't pick ourselves up anymore, Mm -hmm. the devil hates us even more for that. A lesser creature could be forgiven for sinning over and over again, which is not a good way to go through life. That's not what God wants from us. I've often asked the question, did the angels know in an instant what it takes mankind to learn in a lifetime? They know. Yeah. What the angels don't know, and that includes the demonic, the devil himself also is included in this, is they do not know what motivates a person. They cannot read a person's heart. Only unless God gives them that ability. Like St. Pio. St. Pio can read a person's soul. He knew what motivated them. He could see the sins on their soul. God gave him this ability. Mm -hmm. Um, He also suffered from the stigmata, which are the passions of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, he paid a heavy price for that grace of being able to read a person's soul. There are many instances where St. Pio would throw people out of the confessional because when he'd ask them if they're sorry for their sins, and they'd say, yeah, he knew that they weren't actually sorry for them. He'd throw them out, say, come back when you're sorry. Hmm. You know, or when he'd say, is that everything you have to confess? And they'd say, yeah. And he'd say, well, what about the time you did this? And what about the time you did that? Because he can see that. Even our own guardian angels do not know what motivates us. It's only through our actions. It's been throughout scripture. A tree is known by the fruits that it bears. By their fruits, you shall know them. Words don't mean diddly. It's actions. You know, if you're doing one thing and you and if you say you're going to do one thing and you do another, then we know you're a liar because your actions show something different. Right. So a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that the angelic choirs, they know, can read a person's heart when they, in fact they can't. It's only if God allows them to. The example of of uh, the devil in the garden when he he was waiting for Adam and Eve, who he assumed was the infinite word in the woman. See, because God didn't reveal Jesus's name and the blessed mother. He said the infinite word will be born of a woman. That'll be my son mm-hmm. made flesh. The word made flesh. The truth made flesh. He never told him who. The name was so that Lucifer was not privy to anything past the point of what God revealed to him. So when he was waiting to destroy Adam and Eve or the infinite word in the woman, he mistook Adam and Eve for the infinite word, Jesus and the blessed mother. Mm -hmm. He had to study them in order to find out who they were, which is what he does with us. 
He studies us. He finds the weaknesses in our nature. And then he attacks us through our five senses in that manner. That is really interesting. Ralph, tell me a little bit about your book. The first thing I'd like to say and clear it up is Beware the Night and Deliver Us from Evil are the same book. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people, I feel so bad. They call me and they say, I bought, I bought Beware the Night, then I bought Deliver Us from Evil. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, um, I took some heat for that. And I really didn't have anything to do with it because when when uh, Sony made the movie, yeah. they changed the title. And I, and I had an argument with Scott Derrickson over that, you know, in a diner in Queens. I was very upset that they were changing the title to the movie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I had contacted St. Martin's Press, which is Macmillan now, and, you know, told them that the movie is going to be made. And they they made a movie tie in. And they, they made it by the title of the movie. So just to clarify that right off the bat, I only wrote one book. And that's Deliver Us From Evil or Beware the Night. It's the same one. But what, what would you like to know more specifically about it? Well, I just, you know, is there something you want to say about it? I'm, and two, how do, how do I get an autographed copy of it? <laughs> I, I, I got to laugh at that. Uh, you know, do, do you really need my autograph? I mean, you know, uh, I, if you send me a copy of the book, I'll, I'll autograph it for you. But I try to dissuade people from doing that. You really? know, I mean, what, I can understand it, but in the same vein, you know, I, I don't, I don't look at myself as somebody who would rate giving somebody an autograph. You wow. Know? That's, um, that's some humility right there. Huh? I had, I have a good friend of mine that I grew up with. And we had a uh, we had a um, a reunion, and he says to me, "Ralph, I got I got You got to autograph my book." I said, "Why?" I said, "You have my number in your phone. What What do you need my autograph?" He goes, you know what? You're right. I don't need it. So, I I don't. You, you know, it's you. If you needed it, I'd give it to you. But you really don't don't need it. You know, I know some people are into that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't deny somebody if they would want to, you know, send, take the time to send me the book. I'll autograph it. I'll send it back, you well, know, but hmm. it's really not that important in your life. Yeah. I'd rather you pray a rosary than get my autograph, you know. Well, my, my wife read the book, so, uh, and she was very, very, uh, said it was very, very well written and very good book. So I would recommend... Uh, I know my wife would recommend it to uh, to people. Ralph, you're doing some things on YouTube now. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I started a YouTube channel um, where uh, right now I'm actually going through the uh, chapters in the book. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, unfortunately, all of the folks that um, I dealt with in the book have my strictest confidentiality. So the next best thing I can do is put up the audio of the actual interviews and let people hear directly from the, the family and the individuals themselves. Um, and I, I, you know, I go through the cases and I, I try to also explain, you know, uh, like I, I did the, the three stages of diabolical activity. I spoke about the, the modus operandi of some of the demons that I've come across mm -hmm. in cases in the past you know, like the intellectuals, the con artists and the brutes, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I try to explain the differences between the types of natures of demons that we've dealt with, uh, you know, uh, the differences between devils and low level demons. And, you know, I'm trying to mix the cases in the book with also a learning experience because I do, I do teach classes. Um, well, I was, I'm going to start that back up because we're getting a lot of interest in it. I'm just looking for some type of media outlet where I can do the classes and, you know, so I figured I'll do the, the, uh, YouTube channel. I'll eventually speak about my, um, experiences working with the Warrens. I'll talk about the, uh, the demon files. Cause I have a lot of footage that didn't make the show that I have access to, you know, I could put up a lot of stuff that wasn't seen, mm-hmm. you know, exclusively on Facebook. Um, sometimes I put up little cases that I've handled where I have some, I, I might have pictures or uh, video of certain things. And I want to talk about Hostess of the Devil and, and uh, Father Malachi Martin, who is one of my mentors. I have a lot of uh, video of Father Martin mm-hmm. uh, that was never released to the public, uh, with the exception of Hostess of the Devil, a movie that right. came out, which is predominantly in Europe. I don't believe there's any DVDs that are formatted for the United States, actually. It's, they've been formatted for Europe only. Okay. Um, it was the Irish government that put the money up for that docudrama. So I want, you know, I'll, I'll have some of the video of Father Martin, who is absolutely will blow your mind, mm-hmm. you know, with his with his knowledge. Um, makes me look like a babe in the woods, Dave, you know, like an infant. Right. Um, that's how much knowledge and experience Father Martin had. You know, I'd like to talk about Bishop McKenna, an unsung hero uh, in in all of this field. Never looked for any kind of publicity or fame or any. He used to shy away from it. It was like pulling teeth to get him to try and do an interview, you know, Um, and and just talk about my experiences, things that I didn't put in the book. Or, you know, uh, I want to talk about the movie, the behind the scenes. There's a lot of interesting uh, anecdotes I have about that, what it was like to to be around Eric Banner and uh, Edgar Ramirez and mm-hmm. Joel McHale and all of those great actors and uh, uh, Olivia Munn, uh, Olivia Horton, Eric, beautiful people. Eric Banner was the one that played you. Yeah. Yeah. With, with his Australian accent. Right. You know, that completely <laughs> went away. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Completely he was... went away when he was on screen, you know, uh, well, there's a lot of funny moments that took place. Um, with that, you know, with me and Eric and uh, how things went. He's really a very, very funny guy. He's got his thought as a, a comedian, actually. Him I, and uh, I did Joel not know had, they had such chemistry, those two, you know? Yeah. He was, Just to talk he, about how my driver uh, and I went to the 4 6 with Eric, uh, Scott Derrickson, and, and Edgar Ramirez, yeah. um, and the funny things that happened on that ride and all of that stuff. It was, you know, my driver is a captain now, you know, no. he's probably an inspector for all I know, or a chief. Ralph, we're going to wrap this up right now. Um, I just, uh, I usually will close with a, you know, an Irish blessing that goes, may your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Amen. Amen.